I'm staying today. The episode's dropping on Mondays. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that podcast. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I hope everyone had a happy 4th of July, my third favorite holiday behind Halloween and Christmas. Not only is it a week before my birthday, but it always signaled the start of summer, and nothing beats a good barbecue. Even if I became vegan, I would have to make one exception per year because you cannot resist a grilled hot dog, hamburger, chicken, or steak, and the coup de gras, fireworks lighting up the sky. I like the more conventional multicolored ones. I'm not a fan of the noisy ones that sound like you're slowly letting air out of a balloon. My favorite memory is going to the North Shore of Long Island, where all the rich people live, and meeting up with my friends at Oyster Bay Cove, where there's a little beach area. The Dolan family, who used to run Cablevision and AMC Networks, and currently owns the Knicks Rangers and Madison Square Garden, would have a fireworks display across the bay. We're talking about millions of dollars worth of explosives. It was stunning, and all these huge yachts would gather round on the sound to watch. But then, the real show would start. I had a friend who would buy fireworks. I have no idea where he got them or with what money. And we're not talking about sparklers or Roman candles. These were top-shelf Schwarzenegger at the end of Predator fireworks. For the crowd that remained, we would set up a circular barrier where we would place the fireworks down and set them off. I'd never done this before, so naturally, I selected one with the largest shell. I asked about 27 times how to place the firework. Fuse up, fuse down. I think I got it straight and lit the fuse. Walked away like I was a badass. My friend leaned over and said, I think you put it upside down. I'm like, what does that mean? Is it going to explode all over? He's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And I said, well, are people in danger? Should I turn it over? And he replied, only if you want your arm blown off. But in the end, he was pulling my chain. It went off without a hitch. Looked amazing. I could hear people going, wow, woo, look at that. Really fun times. Love the 4th of July. Go America. And if I had the copyrights, I would be blasting John Philip Sousa right now. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars, watch at your own risk. Three stars, standard fare. Four stars, worth checking out. And five stars, must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie. We need to talk about Kevin from 2011, about a mother trying to cope with her disturbed child and the fallout from a tragic event he caused. It was directed by Lynn Ramsey, who also helmed independent features Rat Catcher, You Are Never Really Here, and Morvern Caller. 
The screenplay was co-written by Lynn Ramsey and Rory Stewart Kinnear, based on the novel by Lionel Shriver, author and journalist who's a fascinating interview. The movie is told in a non-linear fashion, bouncing between the present and past with the life-altering events separating those narratives. We're introduced to Ava Kachadorian, who is a travel writer and adventurer. In the present day, she's trying to turn over a new leaf but carries the burden of a tragic occurrence. She's the pariah of the neighborhood. Her small house and car have been splattered with red paint. Everyone knows what her son did. When people see her in public, they either stare with disdain, avoid eye contact, subtly harass, or confront her. She tries not to make any waves, keeps her head down, and moves on. In the past, she lived a bohemian lifestyle with her husband Franklin. Ava is portrayed by Tilda Swinton, who is in the Chronicles of Narnia, unrecognizable in Snowpiercer, and won an Academy Award for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Michael Clayton. Her husband is played by John C. Riley, known for Step Brothers, Days of Thunder, Guardians of the Galaxy, and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Chicago. On a whim, they decided to have a child. When Kevin is born, Ava doesn't immediately bond with him. She tries to engage him, but he's nonverbal and stares blankly at her. She thinks something might be physically wrong with him, but he purposely starts to make her life miserable. Ava attempts to talk with Franklin, but he's not aware of Kevin's bad behavior because his demeanor completely changes when his father's around. This causes a rift between the couple. As he grows up, she continues to clash with Kevin. He knows how to lie and manipulate, doesn't have a moral compass. The son is portrayed by Jasper Newell as a child and Ezra Miller as a teenager. He was in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Suicide Squad, The Stanford Prison Experiment, and the upcoming Flash movie. When they have a second child, Celia, Kevin is none too pleased and she becomes the victim of his torment. He takes advantage of her kind nature. She's played by Ashley Gerasmovich, who appeared in the television series Louie and The Detour. Kevin's behavior gets progressively worse, but not enough to raise red flags. And by the time some of the pieces are put together, it's too late. This was an impressive independent movie. Lynn Ramsey needs to get more work. It was beautifully directed. An artsy film filled with visual metaphors. There were neat shots done in reflection, including a birthing scene, and one where Kevin was practicing archery and the target was mirrored in the pupil of his eyes. I don't think I've been more impressed by an actress than with Tilda Swinton. She completely embodies a character, whether it's a white witch, a ruthless lawyer, an ancient one, a coping mother, or even a man. Her performance drives this movie, and it's fascinating to watch the range of emotions her character goes through. Though there was one odd moment where she goes on a rant about overweight people, it seemed to come out of nowhere and a bit out of character because we'd never seen that side of her throughout the movie. Yeah, she might have been a little cold in some places, but never that on edge. Kevin made a comment that, you could be harsh, but that was the first time the audience had seen it, so it just didn't feel right. I liked that the movie focused more on the family and the aftermath rather than on the person who committed the horrific act. Our society has an unhealthy obsession with lone gunmen, serial killers, school shooters. How many documentaries can there be on these murderers before we realize there might be a correlation between this glorification and copycat killers? They're treated like rock stars and immortalized, whereas we should be lifting up those left behind by these tragic events. And I think that's the point of the film. The only problem I had with the nonlinear narrative is that we know something tragic happened. The filmmakers have already told us early on where the events are going. 
As a viewer, all you're doing is waiting for it. There's no real mystery here. It's like getting a striptease from somebody you've seen naked. You know what's coming and at some point, they just have to get to it. I'm not waiting 20 minutes for you to undress. Unless there's an earth-shattering twist, you're not experiencing anything new. It's fairly predictable in that sense, but because the acting is so incredible, you tend to overlook these types of flaws. But if you're doing a movie review podcast, you kinda have to be objective. Even with that being said, the ending was really well done, and there was one visual that I was surprised at. The cinematography was captured by Seamus McGarvey, whose filmography includes High Fidelity, Sahara, World Trade Center, and The Avengers. Lots of Marvel connections in this movie. It was edited by Joe Beanie, who's known for Invincible, Rescue Dawn, and Grizzly Man. There was some interesting sound design as well, which used sounds as symbolism. Special shout-out to the casting director, Billy Hopkins, for assembling this group. He was also responsible for JFK, Fatal Attraction, Precious, and American Psycho. The score was composed by Johnny Greenwood from the band Radiohead. He wrote the music for two Paul Thomas Anderson films, There Will Be Blood and The Master. The soundtrack featured folk and country songs by Lonnie Donegan, Buddy Holly, Jana Winderin, and Washington Phillips. There were mainstream songs as well by Wham! and the Beach Boys. The runtime is 1 hour 52 minutes. It had a budget of $7 million and grossed $10.8 million at the box office. Tilda Swinton was nominated for Best Actress for a Golden Globe, Screen Actors Guild, and BAFTA. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Tomatoes, Nail Clippings, Dozen Eggs, Very Own Castle, Squirt Gun, Mainstream Media, Eternal Damnation, Christmas Kidnapping, and You Lose. I give it 4 out of 5 stars. Take off half a star if you have trouble with back and forth timelines. Add half a star if you're an actor. This is a masterclass. If you've seen We Need to Talk About Kevin and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called MattWatchThat Playback. Everything old is new again. If any intellectual property had a modicum of success, Hollywood is going to try and reboot, reimagine, or rehash. A couple weeks ago, Netflix released the trailer for Masters of the Universe Revelation. It's a direct sequel to the original 1983 series. Now, part of me wanted to be skeptical. I've been down this road before with He-Man and been disappointed with the results. But this has the ultimate fanboy behind it, Kevin Smith. If anyone is going to respect the source material, it's that man. And even though I prefer professional voice actors, you have to be impressed with the cast. Mark Hamill, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Lena Headey, Dietrich Bader, Alicia Silverstone, Stephen Root, Henry Rollins, Jason Mewes. Not bad, right? But what I was most excited about was the animation. It was certainly inspired by the original, but it feels fresh. I was not surprised to learn that it was done by Powerhouse Animation, a small studio in Austin, Texas. About 10 years ago, I thought about moving there after seeing The Tree of Life, the Terrence Malick movie, which was filmed around the Austin area. It looked like the film industry was going to boom there, so I researched live action and animation production companies and came across Powerhouse, been following them ever since. They do some really great 2D and 3D work. So I'm really excited for this series. 
He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was the first cartoon based around a toy line, which I probably had every figure, including ones from the spin-off, She-Ra, Princess of Power. I still have Triclops to this day. If I'd known that adults my age would be living a perpetual adolescence, I would have saved all those toys so I could display them behind me on Zoom calls. In 1987, Canon Films produced a live-action version featuring Dolph Lundgren in the title role, with Courtney Cox, her friend's mother Christina Pickles, Meg Foster, and Billy Barty. But the highlight of the film was Frank Langella as Skeletor, which he has stated on record was one of his favorite roles. If you watch the trailer, it looks like a pretty decent film, but the reality is, they didn't have a large enough budget to recreate the characters from the series and the unique landscapes of Eternia, so the setting is on Earth. They also couldn't figure out how to make a floating Orko, and replaced him with a character Gwildor. Needless to say, it was a spectacular bomb, but has since become a cult classic. So I'll be posting all things Masters of the Universe this week. The clips will be available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Better Watch Out. Yes, we're celebrating Christmas in July, but this isn't your feel-good curl-up-by-the-fire-with-a-cup-of-hot-chocolate movie. It's an effective suspense horror film set around the holiday season. It's sure to deck your halls. <laughs> I can't go too deeply into the plot because there are a couple of twists that I'd rather not spoil, but when the Lerner parents go out to a Christmas party, they hire their regular babysitter to watch precocious 12-year-old son Lucas. He has a little crush on her and plans to use the night to try and impress her when the home is invaded by an intruder. The movie was shot in Australia with a mostly local cast, but they don convincing American accents and it's set in the States. It stars Levi Miller, who was in the Ava DuVernay-directed A Wrinkle in Time. He was also in an interesting film called Pan, which was a twist on Peter Pan lore. It had some good concepts, but was ultimately panned. But keep an eye on him, he has a bright future. It co-stars Olivia DeJong as the babysitter, who appeared in The Society, and Ed Oxenbold as Lucas's best friend, who starred in Alexander in the Terrible, Horrible, Dreadful, Ghastly, Heinous Day. Both would previously play siblings in the M. Night Shyamalan film The Visit. Dakery Montgomery, Billy in season 2 and 3 of Stranger Things, has a small role. The parents are played by Americans Virginia Madsen of Candyman fame, and Patrick Warburton, Putty from Seinfeld. Now, I have such a high tolerance for horror films that I no longer judge those movies by scares. I basically ask myself, was this entertaining? And it was. I mean, it's not breaking any new ground, but I don't need every film to do that. The story was streamlined, never lost momentum, a couple of good twists, solid performances, overall a pretty decent flick. Better Watch Out is available on Shudder, which is where I streamed it, but there are a few places you can view it. 
that's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need them listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, time's up. It was directed by Lynn Ramsey, who also helmed independent features Rat Catcher, You Are Never Really Here, and Moreover Caller. Oof, I butchered that title. <laughs> She's played by Ashley Girl Boy. Ava is portrayed by Tilda Swinton, who is in the Chronicles of Narlia. Of Narlia! Yeah, man! <laughs>